to the edge of that cliff and hanging on by my toenails because I've been there and I don't like it. It's a hard place to be. Uh, did you ever warn your kids about something and they ignored you? And you knew that they were ignoring you and you talk and you talk and you knew what they were going to do. They were going to do it themselves. And then you dare to pick up the pieces afterwards and you suffer through it with them. You know, that's, that's a kid thing for sure. But hopefully as maturing adults, we can learn from other people's mistakes and not make them all ourselves. right? We can learn from old King Saul. We can save ourselves some pain. God gave us in this beautiful book that he left us accounts of, as warnings and as encouragement at the same time. Pray God that we'll learn, huh? What do we see in King Saul? Well, he wants to keep one foot in the world and one foot at the altar of God, just in case he might need him, in case he might need something. That doesn't work, does it? He'll have to make a decision, and King Saul will. We'll watch him either obey God or obey his own desires. And can you testify with me that if we're not into obedience, we are definitely headed for trouble? You know why? We're God's kids, and he disciplines his own. All right? Other people can get by with stuff Christians can't get by with. Oh, they'll have, they'll have their comeuppance, too, and they'll have their problems as a result. But God will get us. Thank you, Lord, for that. Because I want to be brought back when I step out of line, don't you? For my own good. You just can't keep a foot in the world and a foot in heaven or you'll end up doing the splits. Has anybody tried that lately? <laughs> Not that far. That's all I got. So it just, it just won't work. I'm telling you, it's painful, extremely painful. So we have to make decisions to obey or not obey. And it's daily. Don't you wish you could make that decision once and it be done? But no, you get up the next day and there's another thing to make a decision about. How much time am I going to pray this morning? Do I really have time? You know, or, or what am I going to do? I know I need to call so-and-so, but oh, she talks for half an hour. You know, we just have our excuses and our reasons, and God is nudging us, and so many times, you know. Here's the deal. Sanctification is a lifelong process of trying to be more like Jesus. Sanctification. Have you heard that word? Yeah. It's the process that we are in right now. It's the walk. It's a purpose that is to be more like Jesus as we walk this walk, as much as we can all the way till the time we get to heaven. It doesn't end until we draw that last breath here and finally we get to the next stage, glorification. Beautiful. That's the one we're waiting for. Finally change this mortal flesh becoming immortal and perfect. Wow. I am so tired of sinning. Aren't you? It just wears me out. Just wears me out. And more and more, I want to be like Jesus and not get into, into some of the messes. And, you know, as much as I think that I do grow, there's hardly a day goes by that I don't have something to make a decision about. Can you identify with that? Yeah. And most days I do fine, and then there'll be that day that something just happens. Just fall into a little bit of rebellion. Well, Saul was stuck in this common pattern. He would disobey God, and then you know what he'd do? He'd make excuses. He'd come up with a dozen reasons why he did what he did, and he would blame others. He never, ever took responsibility himself, and he did not fool Samuel. 
and he didn't fool Jonathan or David. You know what? I think the only one he fooled was himself. Can we fool ourselves? Do you understand what I'm saying there? Have you got that? Can we think we got ourselves covered and find out they didn't buy that at all? The truth's going to out. Well, his man, men gradually came to know that they were following a man that was not to be trusted, and they were afraid of him. And that's a really bad way to lead. Have you ever done some fast talking? Fast talking. Did something that you should not have done, tried to talk your way out of it. It's a natural thing that we do that we have to learn doesn't work very well. If we could blame somebody else or make excuses, Hugh Watson told me a long time ago and kept repeating it, that old guy was very wise, and he'd say, Bev, there's a little bit of lie in every excuse. Go looking for it. There's a little bit of lie in every excuse. And you know what? He was absolutely right. If I had to make excuses, I could find what it was. Uh, my daughter learned to talk fast very young. <clears throat> Shawnee was a fast talker. She's still a fast talker but it, with a different motive behind it. Now, if you talk with her very long, she's going to tell you about Jesus and what he's done in her life, and that's the way it's going to be. You're going to hear about it. So, you know, she's kind of like a tornado when you see her come and duck and cover uh, because she's, she's going to want to talk to you about that. But when she was little, she, she started out being a fast talker. She was a problem in her teenage years. I've told you before, I thought I would die, and I didn't. And praise God, there's hope for everybody. <laughs> There's hope for, I'm a living testimony. There's hope for everybody. But I, I remember when she was about 10 years old, she came to me and said, said Mama, I want to make cookies by myself, by myself. And I don't want you in the kitchen, and I will clean up. And she asked me a couple of times, and finally I thought, okay, we got to let her grow up. We'll let her make cookies by herself. And I said, now, honey, or if you need help, you holler, and you know what I expect from you. Yes, I know, Mommy, I know. Well, she made the cookies, and, and um, they turned out not too bad. <clears throat> and the kitchen looked pretty nice after she finished until a couple of days later when I needed the cookie sheets, and I pulled those two cookie sheets out. She hadn't washed them at all. She'd stuck them in there with all the grease and all the crumbs and everything on them. And I said to her, Shawnee, honey, didn't you know that eventually I would get those things out? And it would be trouble for you. Didn't you know that? What were you thinking? Well, my fast-talking daughter, 10 years old, said to me, Mama, here's what I was thinking. I was thinking when you pull those cookie sheets out, you would think, oh, I don't have to grease them. <laughs> Didn't work. But she thought it would. At least she was trying, right? A sign of our maturity is for us to take responsibility, to admit your sin, and call it that. You know, we always say a mistake. Sometimes it's just pure sin, isn't it? Repent and learn from your mistakes and move farther on down the road to your Christ-likeness. Get on, get on into that business. Listen to Saul's much words. Oh, he, he was really, he thought he was good with words. Now, here comes Samuel and Saul's offering the sacrifice. And he looks up at him and he said, when, when I saw that my men were scattering and that you hadn't arrived by the time you said you would and the Philistines were ready to march against us and I have not asked the Lord to bless us yet. And when I saw all of those things, I reluctantly offered the burnt offering myself because I thought you weren't even coming. 
Samuel didn't even try to answer any of those things. He just simply said, you fool. You fool. Now your dynasty is going to end, for the Lord wants a man who will obey him. Well, I am sure that King Saul learned from that. No, we go to the next chapter. Here he is again. He's just had this big victory over the Amalekites, and here comes Samuel. And your Bible will tell you that he did this joyously. He runs out, and he says, hello there. Boy, he's got a big smile on. Hail, fellow, well met here. The Lord bless you, Samuel. I've carried out the Lord's command. He's ready. It's true that the army spared the best of the sheep and the oxen, but they're going to sacrifice them to the Lord your God. And we have destroyed everything else. I have obeyed the Lord. I did what he told me to. Oh, well, there is this thing. I did keep King Agag back, but I killed everyone else, and it was only when my troops demanded it that I kept the best of the sheep and the oxen and the loot to sacrifice to the Lord. That was a string of fast-talking, wasn't it? Samuel just says, has the Lord as much pleasure in your burnt offering and sacrifice as he would have in your simple obedience. There it is, girls. Simple obedience. Okay. The word of God came to Jonah, and he disregarded it, didn't he? Nineveh had a population of 175,000. They sinned so bad that the odor went up to God. Got that picture? I wonder what he smells today. Sinned so bad. And he said, Jonah, tell him to repent or be destroyed. And Jonah got in a ship and went the other way because he was a racist. He hated the whole race of the Ninevites. He didn't want them to repent and be saved. Do you know that about Jonah? He wanted to see them burn. Jonah had trouble with sanctification. Every day when we get out of bed, we can go to Nineveh or we can go to Tarshish. God will let you go to Tarshish if you want to. But that mistake will cost you every time. The Bible says Jonah paid the fare when he got into that ship. It was his responsibility to pay his way. <laughs> oh, on our own, we always pay the fare. Good old Adrian Rogers said the thing that I know every one of you know, but it so works here. Sin will take you farther than you want to go. There's never a cutoff point where we think it's going to be. And it will keep you longer than you ever intended to stay in that mess. And it will cost you so much more than you would have been willing to pay if you'd just been smart enough to look at it on this side and back off. Every time, that's the pattern. So God sends a storm. The crew has to pay, too. Every time you sin, somebody else is going to hurt. It's like something dies every time we sin. He sent a storm, and the crew had to start throwing over their livelihood, throwing over their cargo. They figured they were going to lose their lives, too. So finally, Jonah comes up from out of the bottom of the ship and says, I'm the problem. Toss me over. And they did. They did. Disobedient breaks discipline to the child of God. So the scene will change from the bottom of a boat to the belly of a fish. He was down both times. This was no ordinary fish. I am so tired of this discussion. Was it a whale? Was it a fish? Could it really, really happen? Listen. The Bible says God prepared a fish. Will you just stick on that? God prepared a fish. He created them, and he can prepare them. And he prepared one to swallow Jonah. Now, that's what the Bible says, and that's the way it is. Custom built, like a whale house for a jailhouse. I don't know whether it was a whale or not, but nevertheless, and the old thing that slept on a foam blubber mattress, I know that's carny. But anyway, here's the truth. That fish was a woodshed. 
I drove Jonah to pray, and he prayed from the belly of the fish. And I think this is so funny. Imagine what it would be like to be down in that goo in the belly of a fish, dark and smelly and all of that. You, and did he think he was ever going to get out of there? No, I wouldn't think so, would you? I mean, I, I would think he would think he was done. But his, his prayer was this. I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving. Hmm. And then he said, I'll pay to you what I vowed. Interesting prayer from the belly of a fish, isn't it? Really. You know, it would have been so much easier to pray that prayer on dry ground, wouldn't it? And then God used that storm to blow him back to repentance. Been there? He'll do that for us, too. We'll get a free ride to Nineveh. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Thank God he's a God of the second chance. I've given him every opportunity to say, I'm through with you, Beverly Sue. That's all. But always, always, there's been that next chance. He doesn't throw me overboard. Another chance. And Jonah was to lead the greatest revival in all the Bible. He was an unlikely candidate for that. Get the picture. Spit up. Spit up on the very shore of the place that he was running from. Walking into a filthy, wicked city covered in fish goo, skin bleached from the gastric juices, hair like a wild man, and his message was not politically correct. His message was, boys, get right or die. Get right or die. You know what? That's what God wants us to preach. Everlasting life or everlasting judgment. That's the only two choices there are. Okay? Get right. Get right. Well, Nineveh repented. The sword of judgment put back in that sheath of forgiveness. Praise God for that picture. Have you got it with me? The sword of judgment ready to fall put back in that sheath of forgiveness. Guys, that's what I praise for because I feel the sword and I know that God can once again sheath it for us. He can do that for us. And Jonah was mad. He said, I knew it. I knew that was what you do. You save those scoundrels. What kind of God are you? Well, praise God. He's a kind God. He's a God of mercy and grace. I've experienced it so whenever it says go. Just do it. Save yourself the trouble. Just do it. Is God speaking to you? Is he? Search yourself right now. Is God speaking to you? I want to say this. Yes, he speaks to us if we have ears to hear. If we have not quenched the spirit so many times till the voice is too soft for us to hear. And we've not refused to be obedient when God has spoken to us. But yes, God speaks daily to me and I know he does to you and he will continue to do that if we are obedient that voice will get louder and easier to hear do you think that you know if we obey if we refuse to obey why bother to even talk with us have you ignored the nudge has God pushed you one direction given you something for you to do and I'll think about it a little bit and then a couple of days later, you've forgotten it completely. Have you been given opportunity to speak up for what's right, and instead you turned your back and headed for Tarshish because that was going to be easier, you thought? Do you have family members that need a witness? Because I bet you do. I bet you do. Is God calling you to intercessory prayer, and it's just too much work? Is that maybe one of our biggest sins? 
if we've got a God that says, if my people, I'll heal their land. And we say, God, I know intercessory prayer is hard. And it means time. And it means me on my face in tears. But look what you'll do if I do that. But Lord, I'm busy today. I don't have time. I've got, uh, I've got I need to check Facebook. I need to clean my house. I need to. What could be more important than intercessory prayer? Is God calling us to that? Do you feel that? I believe that he is. Well, the question is, can we learn from King Saul? Lord, help us. We can if we will, huh? All right. Thank you.